what do you really have to share with the world? And if you don't have the answer right now, that's okay. Don't force it. But instead, maybe ask yourself, how can I connect with myself? How can I get back into my body? How can I be me again to start to get that answer? Because it feels good to feel good. And when you feel like you, you can start to feel when something's more of a yes or a no. Hi, Entrepreneurs. It's Steph here. And I want to be sure you've had the opportunity to reserve your ticket to our Entrepreneurs Founders Weekend for our Wealth and Wellness Retreat presented by Chase Inc. We'll be hosting our event at the Ritz-Carlton in Orlando, Florida from May 3rd to May 5th. And you are definitely going to want to be there with us. This is going to be your opportunity to build relationships with some of the most powerful women in business. And I can share with you firsthand that the best business relationships are formed when we really get together in person. And I just know so much business magic is going to happen when we're all together. From educational panels, networking activities to wellness activations, inspiring keynotes and breakout sessions, this is going to be a weekend you are not going to want to miss. So you can reserve your ticket today over at entrepreneurista.com forward slash founders weekend. We only have a few tickets left, so be sure that you reserve yours today. That's entrepreneurista.com forward slash founders weekend. I cannot wait to see you there. Ashley Stahl was a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, spokesperson, and author of the best-selling book, U-Turn. After her first TEDx talk went viral, Ashley's entire life changed. Today, she uses all that she has learned in her business and supports other business owners and thought leaders in building their personal brands through her talk program, helping business owners write and get booked on the TEDx stage. Coming up, how Ashley went from counterterrorism to best-selling author and TEDx speechwriter and coach. You'll hear the best way for introverts to start to network, the secret behind Ashley's viral TEDx talk, and finally, why maybe you shouldn't do what you love. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. Ashley, I am so excited to have this conversation with you today because you are such a wealth of knowledge when it comes to personal branding and our community is all about learning how to build their personal brand. But before we get into all of the good stuff, I have to share with everyone how we actually met and connected a couple of months ago, our amazing podcast manager, Jess. Saw because we're all in a podcast Facebook group, and she saw that you posted that you moved on to Florida, and just connected us on Facebook in a in a chat, and the rest is history. So wonderful that she did that. I just love the power of connection, you know, and community, and being able to just turn these online relationships into real life friendships. There's nothing better. And there's so much that can happen from building real meaningful relationships. Even if it starts with a Facebook message or an Instagram DM, you can find some of your best friends in life and in business. And I can definitely say that's been me now for many, many years meeting some of the most amazing people through the World Wide Web. (laughs) It's interesting too, because it's not just friendship. I feel like there's so many times as a business owner the past 15 years where Maybe I've woken up and it feels like Groundhog's Day where I'm like, oh, I'm plateauing. Nothing feels like it's moving or nothing feels like it's new or nothing feels like it's expanding, like whatever that feeling is. And I feel like one of the super tools for clarity is just connection, having conversations. And I feel like when you have conversations with new people, you tend to have new thoughts because you're out of your normal circle. And I feel like those new thoughts move something forward, you know? And I think that's why people love travel so much is because maybe they don't fully realize what's happening is they're seeing new things all day long. It's new input and it's causing new ideas. And so just beyond friends I've made online, it's like sometimes I wake up and I'm like, why does everything feel so like it's plateauing? And then I just remember, I guess I need to go have a conversation with somebody new 
to come back to myself. Such a really great insight. Were you always like that as a child growing up or is that something you just realized over time? Oh my gosh, Stephanie, like I wonder if people listening feel like this, but growing up, I had, I feel like a relatively untraumatic family. Like anyone who's listening, it's kind of like, yeah, you know, everybody has kind of like the uncle that drinks too much at the family gathering or the mom that kind of like glazes over because she's afraid of conflict or the dad that's really stressed out and can't pay attention. So it's like, when I look at my upbringing, it's a lot of normalness that I'm seeing. But when I take a look deeper, and I think this is the case for a lot of people, it's not about what happened or what didn't happen. It's about what was going on for me. And I think what was happening for me as a kid is I felt so much inside of me. I remember reading Where the Sidewalk Ends by Shel Silverstein and sitting on a hammock and just soaking him in like he was life force and writing poetry. And I I think I got published when I was 11 in a poetry collection. And it's weird because I kind of deviated away from myself. And I think a lot of us do this as we kind of exit our early days of childhood and go into adulthood as we get all these messages. Like we need to achieve. We need to do things that are going to be more likely to merit and create success and survival. And so I always heard the word struggling when I heard the word writer. So I never thought it would be safe for me to be a writer. And lo and behold, we've grown up in an era of the content creator where good words are what really play the game in the business world today. So it's been really fun to see how I can come home to myself and be myself. And that was what laid the groundwork for so much of my career clarity and the platform that I have now. Like, writing a book called U-Turn. Like it's all about coming home to you, Y-O-U. And so I'm really grateful for that. But yeah, growing up, I was such a feeler and I had so many thoughts and I had nowhere to put them. (laughs) What did you do right after you graduated from, from high school? Did you go to college? Yeah, so I grew up with a dad who was like really loving, really fun, but a big spender. And so I kind of knew, and I feel like a lot of people have this even as an entrepreneur. So I kind of knew how well things were going for him because we were either like buying our house or selling our house. Like it was just not the most stable. And so I think for me, I wanted to go to college, but I needed to find somewhere that I could afford. So I ended up going to a small liberal arts school and getting a a scholarship and milking it. I was like, why pick one major when I could pick three? And it wasn't necessarily because I was trying to be an overachiever. I think I just didn't know who I was or what I wanted. And I think so many people feel that way at that point. Like, how are we supposed to know what we want when we're 18, when we've tried barely anything? I know. I know. It's crazy. And, you know, with the cost of schools now, and if you're taking out loans, you're like signing your life away for hundreds of thousands of dollars, betting on an 18-year-old knowing what they want to do and make money doing for the rest of their lives. It's actually insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And like, I don't know, it kind of feels like the equivalent of what society is doing to people in college at like 18 or whatever years old is saying, whoever your first crush is on the playground, like marry them. And it's like, how is that an approach to your career? And so most of my, well, first of all, the fundamental message of my work and everything I do, whether it's helping a client or building my own brand is don't do what you love, do what you are. And I kind of learned that the hard way because we love a lot of things, right? Like I find politics very interesting. I find romance novels very interesting. I love fashion. I love food. Literally just gained 10 pounds this summer from it. So it's like, I love a lot of things, but just because we are good consumers of something, happy consumers of something does not mean that we are meant to be a producer of that thing. So my love for fashion by no means means that I should go be a fashion designer per se. And I think that's where a lot of entrepreneurs get tripped up is if they don't have an idea strongly come to them and they force an idea, sometimes they turn their art or their interest into their work and it doesn't always align with their actual skills of what their zone of genius is. And there's so much research to back that we are happy when we are doing things we are naturally good at. And so I don't know, like growing up in 
a house where I didn't necessarily feel totally heard or seen. And eventually working in counterterrorism. Like I went to college, I studied national security. I was really good at languages. Like that was what I was good at. It was something I was interested in, like I was talking about. I didn't get the whole consumer producer thing. I was like, I'm good at consuming politics. I'm going to go be a politician. So I ended up at the Pentagon when I was like 22, 23. And I wanted to be in the CIA. And I spoke fluent French and Arabic. And I was learning Dari, which is spoken in Afghanistan. And I just remember feeling so lost. And it's so interesting because later I would realize that a couple things. Number one there's what you do, right? So people listening right now, there's the what of what they do. That has to do with their core skill set. So what are your tasks? What are you doing all day? How are you using your energy? If that doesn't line up with your zone of genius in some way or your zone of excellence, you're going to be tired because it's really tiring to be someone you're not, right? And then there's the how, which is like, you know, given that the research indicates that more than half of people leave their job because they don't like their boss, What we can assume from that is that how you do something matters just as much as what the thing is that you're doing, right? So who you work with matters just as much as your job, what your hours are. And I think what those pieces of the puzzle are relate to your core values. They are, I think, the lifeblood of what keep us in an ecosystem that keeps our energy up, that keeps our life force up. So on one end, it's what we do, and the other end is how we do it. And so, you know, I think there's too many people picking core values that don't actually speak to who they are. They pick core values that speak to who they want to be. And that's useful to know. Like, I had an attorney making a career pivot in my private practice a while back, and I'll never forget, I asked her, you know, what are your core values? And we went through the words of core values, and I have a list in my book, and she ended up saying the word peace to me. And I remember laughing like lovingly and being like, look, you are many amazing things. Peace is not a core value. It's not a non-negotiable ingredient to your being because if it was, you would be peaceful. You are not peaceful. You are in mergers and acquisitions. Obviously, your career is trespassing on a core value, but if it was peace, I don't think you would have picked this in the first place. So I think it's really taking a look at what are those non-negotiable principles by which we live our life. So in my case, counterterrorism was a huge infringement on my core values. I just was really disconnected from myself and I needed to make what I eventually would call a U-turn where I'd come home to myself and ask these deeper questions. Was there a day that you remember that you were just like, I can't be here anymore. I can't do this. This is just not feeding my soul and doing what I'm meant to do. And do you remember, was there like a specific moment? Yeah, There's a couple moments, one that feels really interesting to talk about just with your audience, because I know before we hit record, we were talking about how I've been writing and booking people TED Talks. And it's really interesting because I remember getting really burnt out and wondering, like, can I sustain this career in national security? And I remember I won an award at an award ceremony in Washington, D.C. for my work in counterterrorism. And this stunning woman walked up to me and I remember being like, who are you? Like, she looked like she came from the heavens, you know? She, and she was like, yeah, I'm, I'm winning the same award as you. I just got out from the UN. I just gave a TED talk there. And I remember being like, oh, I would love to do that someday. And I'd never spoken on a stage in my life. And she looked at me like a cartoon when I left the award ceremony. And she was like, I'm sure you will. And it was almost like her tooth did a little ching, like smile, like a sparkle. And I remember the next day I was in Istanbul. It was 2012. And there were like the protests in Taksim Square. And it was a cluster. Like tear gas was going. I had tear gas in my actual eyes. My iPhone was in my pocket. I heard the prayer from the mosque down the alleyway. And I'm standing in the Spice Bazaar and just like closing my eyes, sitting down because it was like hard to keep my eyes open. And I remember feeling a buzz in my phone. And I don't know why, like in a crisis, why would we check our phone like for a random text message when we can't even see? But I feel like that's the world that we're in right now. We still check our text. So I looked down and I saw this message from an unknown number. It was this girl. And she said, hey, I recommended you for a TED Talk. And I think they're going to take my referral. And it's not just any TEDx. It's Berkeley. And they have 4,000 people. 
I remember being like, oh my gosh, I've never spoken on a stage in my life. And in the meantime, what I had been up to in D.C. was not only working at the Pentagon, but on the weekends, I was helping all my friends during the recession with their resume and with job interviews. And they all used to say to me, Ashley, you should be a career coach. And I was like, what does that even mean? Like, that sounds like synonymous with being broke. Like, what is a career coach? Do they like cheer for you outside of your office? Like, <laughs> you know, like I only know of a sports coach. And eventually I got the confidence to start my business with job hunting and stuff like that. So those moments of helping people kind of led me into this moment where I was abroad in the middle of a protest. I couldn't see, I was burnt out. And I just remember thinking like, I've got to get out of this. And my job asked me to spend six weeks abroad. The program I was doing for Afghanistan was really, really strong. And I had to go to a bunch of conflict regions and I didn't feel safe going to them, obviously. I didn't want to go. And I remember getting this text thinking, if I get this TED Talk, I'm leaving this entire career path and I'm using it to take me somewhere else. And sure enough, I got an email from the TED people saying like, hey, can you send us your speaking reel? Had no idea what a speaking reel was. I Googled what is a speaking reel. And in my hotel room in Istanbul, I propped my iPhone up against the wall and I gave a speech that I just made up on the spot. And I don't think it was a particularly good speech. And by some act of God, it feels like they took me anyway. And they were like, come give a talk about all the things you've learned in national security and the state of our world. And I just remember being like, I'm going to give a talk about being a career expert and just pull a total doozy on these people. A (laughs) U-turn. A U-turn. And I did. So I opened up in this TED Talk about 10 years ago. And I know you watched a TED Talk of mine recently. It wasn't that this one was like even earlier, like hiding on the internet. I got on stage. I opened up about counterterrorism and I segued into careers and how I'd been helping people with their careers. And from there, I left my job and filled my first coaching group of people who were looking to make a career pivot. I created an online program on how to land job offers, how to get clarity. And today that's a book, the U-Turn book. It's rooted in my podcast, the U-Turn podcast. And we also have our courses licensed in Asia all over the world, helping different populations and different mindsets kind of step into this mentality of don't follow your passion, instead follow who you actually are. And so it's been a wild ride ever since. Well, There's so much to unpack there from the past 10 years because you were able to just share from the moment that it happened, then all of these amazing things that have happened over the past 10 years that you have taken the time and the patience and the money to build. But I know firsthand, all of it does take time and money and practice and learning and mistakes. So I'd love to dive into a lot of the learning lessons from building your personal brand over the past 10 years and going right from that moment where you did take that U-turn yourself, you left counterterrorism to essentially become an entrepreneur and figure everything out as you went along. And I think so many of our members of our Entrepreneurs League community and myself and Courtney included, like we started our business, our first business, Social Fly, on the side of our full-time jobs. We didn't know what we were doing. We were figuring out as we went along, but we were like, we're going to do it. And we just took that leap and started figuring it out. But from all of our experiences, there's so much that we can all share now to help make the process for those that are either just starting now or are trying to really dive into figuring out your personal brand and personal branding and what that should be and how you should show up. Let's let's break it all down and make it a little bit little bit easier for everyone than it was for us. So, okay. You're now just starting as this career coach. You have this opportunity to be on this TEDx stage. You need to probably write a speech, prepare for that speech, build your website, figure out what you're going to sell. Tell me like how you actually did it. And then some of the learnings from that and like maybe how you would do it differently now for people that are just getting started now. Yeah, you know, it's so weird, the thing that comes to mind when I think about what I would have done differently. The first thing that comes to mind is my outfit. Like the pants that I wore on my first TED Talk, they split. They didn't fit me. And I took them to the dry cleaner to sew them back up and I wore them. And it's so funny because like, we don't think of these nuances when we're really focused on work. I was so focused on my words. I wasn't thinking about my hair or my makeup or the fact that this talk would live on forever and be such a trademark of me. But there, I mean, there's obviously so many other lessons that I learned. I would say the 
first thing is like, you can't sustain a business when you're not being you. And I think that goes back to the crux of my work. So I started my business and one of the biggest things I saw was realizing that your career is an experiment. And if you're not willing to give yourself that permission to be experimental, you're not going to probably be able to figure out what you really want in that real fulfillment for your life. I have coached so many people over the past decade and a half that have had the squiggliest careers. Like one of them was a celebrity in the movies and then she started a biotech company. It's like the people who have come to me and the most fulfilled ones, they have not been afraid of failure. And that's the thing is whenever I see someone who keeps going, I always think to myself like, wow, they have a really nice conversation with themselves happening in their head about failure. They're not beating themselves up and taking themselves out of the arena. It kind of reminds me of Winston Churchill. He has that quote. He says, when you're going through hell, keep walking. And I love that so much because I actually think when some people are going through hell, they just sit there. And I'm like, no, 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 feel it, acknowledge it, but keep going. You don't need to let this take you out of the arena. Don't take the bait, you know? As far as the TED Talk goes, one of the biggest things I learned from that is that you can always get a pop in your career. And, you know, sometimes you're in the front of the bus. Sometimes you're in the back of the bus. You've got to stay on the bus, you know, when you're an entrepreneur. So for me, there have been some really tough moments where I'm like, is this even happening for me? And the truth of the matter is there are seeds that I have planted years ago that are beneath the soil germinating. And those seeds may look like conversations I've had, books that I've agreed to write that haven't been written yet, um, course concepts that I'm thinking about, and I just need to tease it out a little more and put it on the content calendar for my team to help me brainstorm. There's so many like seeds that we could be planting that we're not giving credit to. I think that absence of evidence you know, it's not evidence of absence. And so I think it's really a game of consistency and remembering that those big pops can happen. People aren't just lucky, they create their luck and you create luck when you stay on the bus. So for me, I was like, I'm gonna start my business. This is an experiment. I'm not afraid of failure. I told myself like, if I'm gonna give myself a year and if I can't pay my rent, I'll borrow money from my mom or my boyfriend or whoever it was. And if I keep failing, I guess I'll just get a job again, or maybe I'll get a part-time job and keep working on it. So I had this mentality of like, I'm staying on the bus no matter what. I think the second thing was remembering how much of a numbers game it is. Like if you knock on a thousand doors and your knuckles are bleeding, doors will open. It's just math, you know? So the amount of people who try networking and they come back to me and they're like, it's not working. I always write back like the tough love, like, well, how many emails have you sent? How many events have you gone to? And I'm not a big advocate for this whole idea that we need to like spray and pray all the time, like go to a networking event and talk to every single person ever. I think for introverts, some of the best advice I've ever given, I think, is just telling them, Try to find two or three kindred spirits at the event and give yourself credit to leave once you've hit your quota, whether that's in the first 20 minutes or it took you three hours, having real a few real conversations and connections. So there's so many different ways to play the numbers game, but at remembering it exists. And also, I just hit it. There's tipping points, right? Like tipping points are a real thing. One of the things that I learned in giving that TED Talk, so the first TED Talk I gave, I would give it like a B, like... I never spoken to an audience before. I tried my absolute best based on where I was. It was like 15 years ago. I literally had no skills doing this. Now, you know, 15 years later, I have another TED Talk out. It's much more of an example of what I'm capable of and what I actually have to say. But I was willing to pay the cost of admission of like eating a shit sandwich and putting a talk out that I'm like, mm, this is just okay. And so I would say that's one thing. Another thing, and you can stop me because I'm just like spewing out this point, but is I really am aware that we can't put A plus out all the time. So I strive for like a 92, 93% for myself in everything I do, except the things that matter the most to me. So most people who work with me, I'm proudly going to give them a 93. Like I'm a pretty good A for what you're asking for. And I'm not going to let you hire me if I can't be an A. But am I going to be an A plus? Am I going to spend all that extra time, labor, and intensity burning myself out to be a 100? 
Absolutely not. The only two things I've ever been a hundred on is my book because it mattered to me more than anything in the world. Ever since I was a five-year-old reading Shel Silverstein, I wanted to write a book. And the most recent TED Talk I gave, I was like, I'm going to bleed for this thing because I want it to be my best. And here's the thing about that is when you really put your best in and you know what your best feels like, you get met. And it's funny because I remember when that TED Talk you recently watched about, it's called How to Figure Out What You Really Want. I remember as I was writing it, it was almost like I felt the wind on my fingers, like, ooh, this feels like something that's going to go viral. And it wasn't from a place of ego. It was just from like a knowing, like I'm putting my best into this, truly. And sometimes people do their best and it doesn't translate. So I'm not saying it's a guaranteed formula, but it's a pretty good one. And six months after it hit the internet, it literally died on the internet. Nobody watched it. It started going crazy viral. And to this day, 10,000 people watch it no matter what. I used to think like, there's no way it's going to keep going viral, but years and years later, it's still doing what it does. And now that it's a top 100 talk on the internet and I've been speech writing using everything I know from the Obama administration about speech writing and helping people book their talks, I've realized like, this is where I help people show up and bring their A plus because it's not only legacy work, but Where else could I access 40 million subscribers? Where else can I have that big of a chance in one swoop with a brand that has credibility where the intention is just to move people? Like as a writer, you can't ask for much better of an opportunity. It is such an incredible platform. And to be able to not only be on that stage and have your voice heard by that many people. And when you're someone who wants to make impact, there's no better place to to be able to, no better stage to be on. Yeah, it's interesting too, because I think a lot of people, if they give their 92 or 93% to it, it's like a lot of energy they're giving, but it's not gonna go viral. Like usually the ones that went viral, people really tried. They really thought about it. Like there's a reason why people pay the same price to see Hamilton on Thursday and Friday. It's because they're going to get the same consistent excellence, right? That the people on Thursday got on Friday. And so I think for me, when I'm doing something that is soul work and I can't do everything, everything can't be soul work or I'm going to be burnt out and on the side of the road, like keeling over, which so many people are, which is what I don't want for people. I think the question is for anyone who's listening is like, what do you really have to share with the world? And if you don't have the answer right now, that's okay. Don't force it. But instead, maybe ask yourself, how can I connect with myself? How can I get back into my body? How can I be me again to start to get that answer? Because it feels good to feel good. And when you feel like you, you can start to feel when something's more of a yes or a no. Like, I have a couple friends that I see that always bring me back into myself even more than certain ones. I love going to the beach, the sand, like my journal. It brings me back. So it's like really knowing for yourself, like if you don't have the answers, what can you do to nurture yourself? And what can you do to accept that that process could take six months? It could take a year and not force yourself into answers that aren't real and hence not sustainable. Up next how to go about building your personal brand. Hey, entrepreneurs, it's Steph here. As a founder, or really as a woman in business who is creating their own success, whether you're just starting a business or you're scaling it, dealing with finances and money can often feel very overwhelming and intimidating. We have all been there. But according to fellow entrepreneurista and personal finance expert, Varnoosh Tarabi, that fear can surprisingly be very helpful for your future success and wealth. Varnoosh is the host of the So Money podcast and the author of the best-selling book, A Healthy State of Panic. She gets candid about all things finance with leading business experts every Friday on her podcast. And she dives deeper into the nine biggest fears that hold us back both professionally and personally in her latest book, including rejection, loneliness, fear of missing out and failure to name a few. She offers a wealth of knowledge and tackles the relatable feelings we all experience about money. So you are definitely going to want to subscribe to her podcast. 
And if you want to meet Farnoosh live and in person, be sure to join us at our Entreprenista Founders Weekend event from May 3rd to May 5th at the Ritz-Carlton in Orlando. Farnoosh will be speaking and she cannot wait to connect with you. You can reserve your ticket at entreprenista.com forward slash Founders Weekend and we will see you there. Something we talk a lot about in our entrepreneurship community with all of the founders that are part of the community is the importance now, especially of really focusing on not only building your business brand, but building your personal brand. Because as a founder, your personal brand really is connected to your business. And there's so many opportunities for your business that can be unlocked by putting yourself out there and sharing your story because people at the end of the day feel connected to people that they love, that they trust, where they're part of that story and that journey. How have you focused on building your personal Ashley brand over the past 15 years? And what are different things that you've learned to really figure out like who you are and what should your brand be? And has it evolved over time? One of the cool things I've learned about putting good work out there and really pouring your heart into something is that people will follow you when you pivot. So that's like one thing I've really learned. Another thing that I've learned, I think your career has a few different lily pads and you're building your brand as you go. So I think the first lily pad is people who they feel fine. They're like, I'm doing this. Maybe you're a business owner and you're like, I'm doing this, but I'm not like totally loving it, but it's working for me in some way. And maybe they don't want to figure out anything past that. They're like, this is cool for me. No judgment. I think the second lily pad you need to, that people need to swim over to if they want more fulfillment in their career, in their business, is I need to figure out what my zone of genius is. I need to figure out where my gift is because I'm not working in that. That takes time. Like swimming from the first one to the second one, I think is very much so kind of what we were talking about of like, what can I do to nurture myself and get my body back online? What can I do to feel good? And it's not from a place of lack. It's just like nurture yourself. And once you start to figure out what your core values are, which your core skill set is, I think a good question to ask people in your life in that process is like, where have you seen me at my best? Where have you seen me at my best in my work? Where have you seen me at my best in my career? And when you can truly ask that, A lot of people are able to give you feedback and you're able to take a look at it and say, yeah, this is what resonates. This is where my skills are. And when you lock into where your gifts are, life becomes a game of opportunities. It becomes a game of yes or no. It's like things are, are, you're standing in a riverbed and things are coming at you. And here's the thing about opportunities. They can be a very high form of distraction, right? Because Like they're abundant, but they're also a distraction if you take the wrong ones that aren't really for you just because they look good. So your life becomes a game of yes or no. And I think when you take the right opportunities, your skills shine, people see you shining, and you get more opportunities and options. People who tell me they're stuck, I'm like, you're not stuck. You're just not creating options. And you get options when you know what your gift is. And so I think that's the second one. And then the third piece is dharma. I think that most people may not ever get there, and that doesn't mean that the people who do get there are better than anyone else. I think when I was writing my book, I hit Dharma. It was like, oh, this is like the sky is like flying through my fingertips as I write this book. I think as I write other people's speeches, it's like, feels like Dharma. I'm like, wow, I'm really using my gifts and my talents and my soul here, and it's so fulfilling. And so I think when you create a personal brand, it's a numbers game. It's also a message game, right? So my core message is don't do what you love, do what you are. And you're going to see that everywhere in what I do. The, The personal brand is about mastering the internet and my reputation in different ways. So for example, at its worst, I think a personal brand is delusional. Like think about inventing Anna and like Anna Delvey. It's like she created this like fake brand and, you know, or there's people like the Tinder swindler where it's like, they just get really good at getting people to press the follow button, but it's like backed by nothing. So there's something really dark about the world of personal branding. At its best, personal branding is a self-respect. It's saying, I'm putting my shingle in the the ground for what my gift is. And I think, you know, whether you want one or not, we have learned from political scandals, especially that if you do not create your brand and your reputation, people will create it for you. That's why when we see scandals with presidents, usually the person on the receiving side, they're totally taken out 
right? Like they didn't, a lot of them didn't have a brand that they built off of, right? Like, but then when you think of the politician, usually they bounce back on their brand. So here's an example I would say is I think of the internet like it's a bunch of islands, right? Like there's the, I write for Forbes, that's an island. I have my U-turn podcast, that's an island. I have my books, that's an island. My website, my courses, me going on TV, these are all islands. Or, you know, if you like cake like I do, it's kind of like layer cake. And so I would say every year in my business, I've devoted myself to one island, to one layer of the cake. And for a couple of years, it was all about blogging. And instead of me going deep and putting all my blogs on one platform, I was like, how do I go wide and put my voice on many platforms? So instead of writing 50 articles for whatever blog platform website that was relevant for the kind of ideal client I wanted, I would write three for this one. And then I would use that as leverage to get the next one. And then I write three for that one. Then I use those two as leverage to get the third one. And I'd keep going up in the ranks, creating this press avalanche for myself. And eventually I landed Wall Street Journal. So that was kind of the blogging island. And I focused on that for a couple of years. And the thing about that is that blogging is the gift that keeps giving because it's not about the day that it comes out. It's about the SEO Like, and it's about people who search for those topics every single day. So if you're clear on your ideal customer and you're putting content out that you know they're searching, you are putting living, breathing content on something that is going to be found all the time. I think there's a benefit to that. So that's personal brand island number one. I mean, ranked in no particular order. Another island I would say is podcasting, whether you want to go on tour as a guest. Like when my book came out, I went on, I think a hundred shows and I, Speaking of number games, uh, you know, I, I probably DM'd like 500 hosts about my book to get on those 80 or 100 shows. You know, it's like you create your luck, you create your brand. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And I think people who just want to wake up and have this massive brand, the closest thing I know that can give you that is the TEDx stage. And that's why I've pivoted most of my work to writing and booking these TED Talks for people because... I just think that like, if you want to just put rocket fire on your brand, write the best talk of your life because that's the hack to going viral. It's actually, it's not easy, but it's simple to go viral. You simply write the best talk you've ever given. Good stuff gets shared. And so I think the TED Island has changed my brand. It's attracted book deals, spokesperson deals, licensing deals, like speaking tours, like the opportunities never end. And I think there's probably no one thing in my personal brand that's helped me as much. Coming up, what to do when you feel like you are stuck. Now you're helping other people have those opportunities. So you've experienced it yourself. You're clearly amazing at writing these talks. What does the process look like to work with you? So for the founders that are listening that have had this like inkling in their soul (laughs) saying, you know, I I feel like a lot of us will say like, I definitely want to write a book and I want to give a TED talk, but I'm so focused on writing my business right now. And these are really things that I want to do. And this person is me. I say, I say this all the time. We had this conversation. I'm like, I do. I definitely want to do a TED talk, but I don't have the time to focus on writing it yet, but it is something on my list that I want to do. You're coming in and helping with that whole process. What does that look like? Yeah. I think the first thing is like to write a TED talk is to share a piece of your heart and let it live on. And you can also have a business goal with it, right? Mm -hmm. So the first thing I like to do is look at somebody's heart. And so what that really means for me is looking at a timeline of their life events. Like what are the events, moments, and decisions that were turning points and pivot points for you? So I have clients coming in that will send me, you know, like I have a client, she's 35 years old, and I think she started at age four and sent me like one or two things per year. Or some years she had nothing that really sat with her and changed her life in some way or or sits in her memory in some way. We hop on Zoom and really take a look at like which story is the most attention grabbing and meaningful And then from there, we start to tease out, well, what's the goal of this talk? Because the thing is, a lot of people think like, I want to give a talk on X, Y, Z. Okay, great. This story doesn't fit that. So I can't use that story. No, no. (laughs) You can make any story fit any talk. And we are still dealing with humans who are watching the talk. So we need to be grabbing their attention from the beginning. So if you watch my most recent TED Talk about how to figure out what you want, 
I opened up with my dad, um, somebody, you know, having threatened to kidnap me. But it was to talk about figuring out what you want in life. Like, how are those two things seemingly related? It was my job as a speechwriter to draw the bridge between those two things. So first and foremost, it's what story and experience packs the most power in that person's life? And what is their business goal? Mm -hmm. And from there, I try to get their actionable insights, questions, tips, pieces that will back uh, helping their ideal customer who's watching this talk really understand and get some value from them in a way that makes them want to not just change their own life from the value of that talk alone if they never see anything ever again, but also get curious about like, who is this person and how can I find them? Because I know for me, my podcast has probably gotten a few thousand new listeners per month from my TED Talk. So there's so many different ways that it will support. And I don't really lead when I write a TED Talk with just them buying from you. I lead with how can we get these people in your ecosystem? Yeah. But I do think that the sale is important too. Absolutely. At the end of the day, if you're building a business, you have to make money. So uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. What would you say has surprised you the most since pivoting your business now to focusing on on writing TEDx talks? I would say how easy this offer has been. Like mm -hmm. I've been career coaching. I'm also a spokesperson for SoFi, the financial lending company. I've been doing a lot of things I really love. SoFi has been nothing but fun. Career coaching has been super fun. I think the disconnect has been like my career coaching has been higher end. So not everyone is going to invest at that level in a career pivot or in career clarity or in building their personal brand. So it's been like a nice little flow my whole career of people who come in from all my assets and find me because of the career coaching and career content I put out. What surprised me most about the TED offer is how many people easily say yes to it and how many, it almost feels like people were waiting Mm -hmm. for this kind of opportunity to exist for their business. I don't think I've ever launched an offer where I felt like people were kind of just like waiting to hear from me <laughs> about it, you know? And so that's been really fun is like, whoa, you know, like there's people like Joe Dispenza. I don't know if you've ever read his stuff. I love his book, The Placebo Effect. He talks about all sorts of different things. Like a guy, for example, was told that he had cancer and that he was dying and he was misdiagnosed, but he died anyway. He didn't have cancer. So it's like the placebo effect of our mind. So the author of that book, Joe Dispenza, does a lot of neurology and a lot of research and also psychology. And he talks a lot about the quantum field. And I think the quantum field is like this place where all the ideas and answers exist, right? Like if you have a question right now, the answer exists somewhere. It's a big world. There's a lot of solutions, right? Yeah. There's inventions that haven't been invented yet, but they're like somebody's brain can go create them. They just haven't bring, been brought into existence yet. That's the quantum field. Mm. I almost feel like this TED Talk offer has been sitting in my quantum field, like on the shelf. And I just came out and, you know, I'm 36 years old and I wrote 40 of them last year for a bunch of business coaching clients. But it's been so interesting for so many people to come to me and be like, okay, I'm ready for this. And me just thinking to myself, this was on the shelf in the quantum field the whole time and I didn't pull it off. I could always yeah. have the skills that I would always have loved to do this. And I think what it's taught me for anyone listening is like, if you're feeling stuck right now, maybe it's your offer. Maybe it's how you're talking about your offer. Maybe you don't even like your offer. Maybe it's lead gen and marketing, whatever it is. Remember that there's solutions in the mm -hmm. quantum field. That if you have a question, the answer exists. Go find someone who's living out the answer. And if you can't find someone, Go take care of yourself so that you feel good so you can start to come to your own answers. Such great advice. And I so believe it coming from someone who did not have a lot of answers presented from doctors during my complicated pregnancy. Yeah. I went out and I found them myself. And now there's a there's a lot of AI tools that can probably help find a lot of answers too, right? Right, right. Ashley, what would you say is the craziest thing that has ever happened to you since starting your business? I would say, I mean, there've been some like really big tipping points. Like nothing has tipped me quite like Ted. Probably my courses getting licensed in Mandarin and Asia and my, okay, so actually this is it. So like I was telling everyone now, I DM'd so many podcast hosts to go on a book tour for my book when it came out. And I remember, you know, thinking to myself, like I've got to work really hard to get a book out. Like it's 2023, there's a lot of books out there. At the time, it was 2021 and the recession, or not recession, uh, pandemic. 
And I ended up getting another book deal in Asia for the rights in Mandarin. And I didn't have an audience there that I knew of. I didn't have any podcast there. I couldn't go on any podcast there because I don't speak Mandarin. So I just remember thinking, like, this is probably just going to, like, drop in Asia somewhere in Mandarin. And, like, because it's not being promoted, you know, publishers do not help authors promote their books. They think they do, but they don't. And anybody who's written a book listening is probably smiling and nodding. So... They are not marketers. They are just publishers. So for me, having my book come out in Asia, I was like, this thing's going to go like die in a corner of like a Taiwanese Barnes and Noble somewhere. Well, sure enough, I've gotten like I am a national bestseller in Taiwan. One person shared my book. All It feels like all of Taiwan is reading it. And so what it taught me is that sometimes we don't have to push. And I think that's why I've gotten so excited about TED or anything like it is there's some things you need to do in your personal brand that are you got to put a lot of masculine energy in, right? Like I had to push really hard to make my TED Talk what it was. I had to push really hard to make my book what I needed it to be. But once it got out there, it took a life of its own. And when you create something that timeless and that powerful, what it does is people with eyeballs are looking at you every day. They're experiencing you every day, people you could have never reached. And they're thinking of you for opportunities you would have never thought about. And because of that, by putting that masculine energy into like pushing and creating, if you're intentional with where you push and create, especially with your personal brand, you create more feminine energy in your Mm -hmm. career. Where now people are thinking about what they should attract for me, like what I'm getting reached out to by e-learning platforms in Asia saying, hey, we want to translate your courses into Mandarin. So that has probably been the biggest surprise of my career is like being a like a New York Times bestselling level author in a different country that I have no influence in. <laughs> That's so interesting and amazing, right? You never know <laughs> where the opportunities can come knocking. And as you were explaining that, it made me think I'm like, oh gosh, you better make sure your contact info is everywhere and all of these things that you share. Because if you have a viral video or TED Talk or wherever, you know, press piece, like make sure you're easy to find and easy to contact so you can then get those deals that come to you. Yeah, 100%. And that's actually such a hack, right? Like how many people's contact form on their website doesn't work and they don't know because they haven't tested it. Like I have my team test our forms once a month, test our emails once a month so that we never get so backlogged and blindsided by the basics of technology. Like love it or, or like it, we need technology, but it's definitely has its challenges. Absolutely. What are your favorite tech solutions, business tools? What do you use in your business that's help you streamline everything? I love the voice memo app of our iPhone because it's so easy. It's with me all the time. I literally record sponsor ads on the voice memo app of my iPhone. I record solo episodes for my podcast on there. And I have found that the audio is no less quality than this Blue Yeti microphone that I'm using if I hold the phone in the right position. So I feel like I'm a simpleton and I love it that way. Like the simpler, the better. I feel like it's so easy to be complicated into today's world. Yeah. So I'm like, how do I just use technology to make my life more simple? I I use ChatGPT a lot. But I would say definitely like my little voice memo app, nothing crazy. I barely am on Instagram. It's a total example of me going in on an island, going in on a piece of layer cake for my brand and leaving. Like you do not see a lot of new posts from Instagram, from me on Instagram every day, but there's a lot of content people can binge on there if they want to. Are you still actively using stories to move your business forward or just Instagram is just hanging out on the island while you're focused on the other island. What island are you focused on this year? (laughs) Yeah, that's a really, really good question. So I have, I feel like a lot of good karma with the entertainment industry. So right now we're working to get my book out in Korea, in Japan, in Malaysia, um, to get licensing deals for our programs out there. So I'm kind of like in a new mind shift where I'm like, you know what, my days of being the person for Everyone in the United States, not that I'm anyone's person, but like the idea of trying to strive to be that. I'm happy if I resonate for people. I love that I do. I'm super motivated by self-expression and meaning. So I think I just um, am very motivated to go put that out in other markets where people's mindset maybe need my message Mm -hmm. in a different way. 
No, it totally makes sense. Ashley, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? It means like creating from who you are and on your own terms. I think a lot of people talk about being on their own terms, but for me, that really means like getting paid to be you and choosing the quest to figure out who that is. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. And no one has ever shared that before. I want to write it down and bottle it up. Getting paid to be you, every entrepreneurista, that's exactly it. So for our founders and members that are looking to potentially do a TED Talk either this year or in the future, and they want to connect with you to learn more about how to work with you, what is the best place for them to reach out to? And we'll link out to everything in the show notes too. Yeah. I mean, anyone who reaches out within a couple weeks of this episode, let me give you $2,000 off or something. I don't know, something fun. Tell me in the application you heard about me from this podcast so that I can thank Steph. It's at ashleystall.com is everything. ashleystall.com slash talk is where the application is. So if I hear from you within a couple weeks of this, please let me know you found me here and let me give you a little, a little love, a little entrepreneurista discount. And where else can everyone find my book is everywhere books are sold podcasts everywhere podcasts are listened to it's a self-development self-love show that focuses on elevating your mindset in your work life and in your love life so we have a lot of love experts and I would love to have you there too thank you Ashley and for our listeners we're linking out to everything Ashley just shared in the show notes below so head over there right now over to Ashley's website and podcast go give it a download and a follow as well Ashley thank you again for being here and sharing your story I am so excited to continue to follow all the incredible things that you're gonna do and who knows maybe we'll work together on a on my TED talk this year let's see if it happens yeah thank you thanks for having me and thanks to everyone Of course, I'm Stephanie, and this is the best business meeting I've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entrepreneurista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entrepreneurista's. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entrepreneurista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entrepreneurista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Founders are always asking us what has been the secret to our success building multiple seven figure businesses. Do you want to know how? It's our community. We created the Entrepreneurista League for founders like you. Our members have access to everything we've used to grow our businesses over the past 10 plus years. To learn more and get on the wait list for when doors are open again, head over to entrepreneurista.com. That's entrepreneurista.com to get on the wait list.